So again, our time of studying God's word this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the blessing of your word. Lord, we know that your word forms us. It shapes us, Lord, from the very beginning of creation where you spoke and things came to be till now, your word is shaping and forming this world. And so, Father, I pray that it would do the same for us as we study from it today. I pray that you would bless me, that you would give me the strength to preach and the words to say that I would encourage and build up these, your people, and that we all might be changed by the word of God into the people that you would have us to be. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at the first 20 verses of Romans chapter 3 as we continue in our study through the book of Romans. And thus far we have seen Paul fleshing out this argument about how the wrath of God is revealed against two different ways of unrighteousness. That first, there is the way of unrighteousness that is revealed through a willful darkness in which people deny the truth of God that's revealed in nature and instead they choose to believe a lie and they choose to believe their own gut instincts, they choose to believe their own uh, way of life and they worship the creation rather than the creator. And the second way of unrighteousness is the way of self-righteousness. And so in chapter 2, we spent all of chapter 2 looking at this way of self-righteousness, which is represented by the Jew and how the Jew had the law of God and they obeyed it outwardly, but inwardly in their hearts, they were corrupt and they secretly committed sins that were rebellious against God. And they even found ways of manipulating the world, manipulating the law of God so that they could look obedient to other people. But in reality, their hearts were far from God. So you might notice if you look at these two different ways of unrighteousness that Paul isn't leaving anybody out. In reality, we all fit into one of these two different ways of unrighteousness. Either we say like Frank Sinatra, you know, I'm just going to do it my way, God. I'm just going to blaze my own trail. I'm going to live life by my own rules. I'm going to do I'm, I'm going to do me, as, as Jameis Winston says, you know, you do you, and, and, and we're just going to do us. We're going to live like we want to live. Nobody's going to have anything to say about it. Nobody's going to put any rules on it. We're going to live like we want. Or we live in a way that uses other people's rules or God's rules for our own ends. And so we like people to see our morality. We like see people to see how much we give. We like people to see that we're faithful in attending church. We like to, people to see how good we are out in society. But in reality, our hearts are far from God. And in those two different ways, all of humanity stands condemned. So in our text from Romans chapter, one, or chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, Paul is going to conclude the point that he's been working out from chapter 1. And so as we get to the end of this argument, we're going to consider the fact that man is totally incapable, totally unable 
to live in obedience to God's command. Man is totally incapable, incapable of saving himself. And he is totally unable to obey completely the law of God. And so let's read together Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 20 as we begin today. God's word says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the, wor- the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So from this passage, I want you to see two points today. First, I want you to see the indictment of the law. And second, I want you to see the total inability of man. So first, let's consider the indictment of the law from verses 1 through 8. So here Paul seeks to answer a very important question. In fact, it's a question that Paul is going to come back to numerous times throughout the study of the first 12 chapters of Romans. We're going to consider this question in and out uh, from every which way as we go from through the, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And the question is this. If God gave the people of Israel His law to set them apart, but obedience to the law cannot save them, then what advantage is there in being a Jew? 
I mean, just consider the, the level of sacrifice that a Jew had to give to obey the Old Testament law. A Jew had to give up eating certain meats that we today love. I mean, how many of y'all like shrimp? Show of hands. A lot of folks like shrimp, right? Love some fried shrimp or some sautéed shrimp or whatever kind of shrimp you can give me. I'll eat shrimp. You couldn't eat shrimp if you were a Jew because it's a shellfish. How many of y'all like fried catfish? The, the other half raised that, their hand. <laughs> like fried catfish. You couldn't have eaten fried catfish as a Jew. All right, now I'm going to get every hand on this. How many of y'all like bacon? <laughs> Most people like bacon. Bacon makes everything better. And as a Jew, you could not have eaten bacon because of the laws against certain animals, uh, cleanliness laws against certain animals. You couldn't even eat certain parts of animals that were clean, according to some of the laws of the Jews. They couldn't work on the Sabbath, not even to cook their food. So if you're going to leave here and go eat at some restaurant, you would be breaking the Sabbath law in the Jewish uh, Old Testament. It, they couldn't, uh, they had all sorts, hundreds and hundreds of laws on cleanliness that they had to follow on a daily basis. And so if all of those restrictions could not make a man acceptable before God, then why would God command them in the first place? Why would God give a law that He knew people could not obey? Now, Paul answers this question by pointing out that there are actually two purposes to the law. First of all, the law does reveal what true righteousness is. It does reveal what God's character is like. And so the Jew is not wrong to think that true righteousness is revealed in the law. But the law has a second purpose. The law also reveals our sinfulness. So Paul explains in verses 3 and 4 that even if the Jewish people were faithless in their obedience to the law, God is still proven faithful. And he quotes Psalm chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. And this psalm help, helps to clarify the point. So let, let me read it to you. Psalm chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So the psalmist confesses that his sins are great and, and that he has done what is evil in God's sight. And as a result of that, God is justified in what he says about the psalmist. And also he is blameless in his judgment of the sins that the psalmist has committed. And what is true about this and what is uh, why Paul references this passage is because the psalmist would not have known that he was a sinner, he would not have known to confess his sins apart from the law. So, you see, the Jews thought that the law made them automatically righteous. That just because they had the law, 
and because they kept it on and off again, that they were righteous. And they could look at the rest of the world and the pagans and the way they, they worshipped in darkness and the way they walked in darkness. And they could say, look, we're better than them. We, we have it better than them because we have the law of God and therefore we're accepted before God. And yet what they missed was the corruption of their own hearts. The whole time the law was like a spotlight shining a bright light on the sins of their heart and the ways that they had truly sinned against God. And instead of confessing their sins and repenting, they, were, they condemned the rest of the world and boasted in their own righteousness. So second, I want you to notice the total inability of man from verses 9 through 20. Paul asked the same question again. Is the Jew better off for having the law? Now, in verses 1 and eight, one through 8, he basically says, yes, you know, there is some benefit to the Jew in having the law because they know that they're sinners. But now, in answering the question again, notice that Paul answers with an emphatic, no, not at all. Then Paul makes this shocking statement, and he says that, in effect, every person, regardless of their race, regardless of their religion, regardless of their heritage, every person in this world is under sin. Now, when Paul uses the phrase under sin, that's the, the Greek phrase hypoharmatia. And the, you might recognize the phrase the, the prefix hypo there, we use it all the time. In fact, I don't know how many of y'all like a shot. Not many people like to get a shot. But when you hear about going, I'm going to get a hypodermic shot, that hypodermic, hypo there, means under the skin. Okay? So hypo means under. And when we talk about, when Paul says that we are under sin... He means that everyone in this world is under the influence and the oppression of sin. Now, I emphasize that point because I think we tend to view sin wrongly. We can be guilty of thinking that sin is something that we do rather than a condition that we are under. So we might think, if I can just stop sinning, then I can get right with God. Wrong. So even if you were to stop sinning today, you would never be right with God because you are under the authority of sin. So let me give you an analogy. Just imagine that you are stuck in quicksand. And with every move that you make, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but you know, with quicksand, if you move you sink deeper. And with every move that you make in that quicksand, you sink deeper and deeper into it. Now you may realize at some point, every time I move, I'm sinking, and you may decide I'm going to stop moving. But in deciding to stop moving, you haven't changed the fact that you are still stuck in quicksand. And in a similar way, all of humanity 
is stuck in the mire of sin through the rebellion of Adam and Eve. And every sin that we commit is like moving in quicksand. It sinks us deeper and deeper into it. But whether we commit one sin or 10,000, we are still under sin. But the problem of sin is not just a condition into which we are born. The problem also involves our willful acts against God. So in verses 10 through 18, Paul strings together several psalms to show that we are corrupt as mankind. And there are three ways that mankind willfully sins against God. First, in verses 10 through 12, we find that we sin in our direction. So the psalmist says that no one has understanding, no one seeks after God, and everyone has turned aside. Now you might say, well, now wait a minute, preacher. I know some very honest Muslims who are seeking after God and they're just blind to the gospel. Or I know some good Hindu people and they're very sincere and they're seeking after God even though they're seeking in the wrong direction. But as Paul has already said in chapter 1, mankind can see the truth of God revealed in nature and yet they exchange that truth for a lie. And so every way that we seek after God that is apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ is a lie. It doesn't matter if it has an inkling of truth. If it is not in the will of God through Jesus Christ, it is a lie from the pit of hell. It doesn't matter if they're a good person. If they are outside of Christ, they are living in the lie of sin. It doesn't matter if they follow a gazillion rules and live a good moral life. If they are outside of Christ, they are living a lie and they are in the pit of sin. Second, from verses 13 through 14, we see that sin, uh, we sin in our deceptions. So we sin in our directions and we sin in our deceptions. So one of the clearest way that you can see the total depravity, the total sinfulness of man is is, uh, to set out to raise a child to be a good moral person. Now, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. But anyone who is naive enough to believe that human beings are basically good will quickly have his beliefs shaken by a two-year-old. Have you ever noticed that we do not have to teach children how to lie, how to cheat, or how to abuse other people. No, instead, we have to teach them how to tell the truth, how to play fair, and how to be kind, right? From the time we are little until the time we are old, we deceive one another in what we say and how we act, and in the ways that we treat others. And lastly, from verses 15 through 18, we sin in our destruction. Violence and destruction are such a normal part of the human experience 
that we even entertain our own children with cartoons and video games full of it. We foster destruction in our own personal lives, whether it's a feud between family members, a hostile work environment, or an abusive relationship. We also bring down destruction on our communities and on our nation. Even as we speak, the whole world is waiting with bated breath for the next war between superpowers. We cannot escape the destruction of our sin, and our sin continually breeds that destruction in our world, both in our own lives and in our communities and in our world. Sin is a condition under which we live but it's also a way of life that we actively choose. That choice may be something no one else sees. It may be nothing more than a picture that you play around with in your head. It may be a a wellspring of anger that you mask with a smile. It may be a harshness with which you speak to others. And you may try to mask all of that with the outward appearance of morality. You may be a good upstanding citizen and you may faithfully pay your debts. You may be honest to a fault. Yet God's word reveals that you are under sin and you have a heart that is set against God. No amount of moral law keeping will make that sinfulness better. Friend, the solution to sin is not found in, quote, doing better or getting your life right. You don't just need to stop moving in the quicksand of your sin. You need to be rescued from it. Jesus Christ came down literally into the mire of our sinful world that we might be rescued from our sin. He died and rose again so that you could be lifted out of that sin. Won't you trust in Jesus Christ today? Brothers and sisters, often we can believe the right things about the gospel while expecting people to, quote, clean up before coming to Christ. With those expectations, we can put unbiblical requirements on those who come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We should be careful about how we present the gospel, avoiding the idea that someone can stop, must stop sinning before he or she can be saved. Instead, we may, we, we may speak, I'm sorry, instead, may we speak plainly about the fact that the problem is not just an issue of personal obedience or personal sins, but the bondage that every human being is under because of the condition of sin in this world and in their own hearts. May we live as redeemed people who can testify to the grace that Jesus Christ has shown us even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And may we show others and tell others about that same grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your gospel. Lord, even though it is hard to hear how we are truly sinners, both in the fact that we are under the curse of sin and the fact that we daily choose to disobey you through our acts of sin. Lord, I pray that we would come to recognize that it is not by our own merits or our own work that we can 
claim to be right with you because all that would do is just being simply stopping the motion in the mire of our sin. But Lord, may we instead trust in Jesus Christ who has lived perfectly for us and who has died as a sacrifice for our sins. May we turn to him in dependence and trust that he is able to save us from our sins and make us right with you. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who has not trusted in Jesus Christ, that they would realize that they are lost, that they, there is no amount of uh, goodwill, no amount of right doing that can make them right before you. They cannot stop what they are doing, stop the way they're living, and all of a sudden start living better and somehow earn favor with you, that it must be through Jesus Christ and Him alone that they are saved. Father, I pray that they would turn to you in faith and that they would trust in you today. Father, bless us now as we respond to you in faith. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.